0: Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt.
1: Welcome, everybody, to the fourth episode of the Independent Advisors Podcast. I'm here with Matt Jessup. and. Uh, I'm Mark McEvely, where we bring you every week um, current events, uh, things to talk about in the financial news, um, talk about the economy and tradable markets, um, and tips, tricks, and strategies that could uh, benefit you um, and in your financial life. So um, as always, I wanted to get started by saying good morning to you, Matt.
2: Good morning, Mark. We're in the middle of, uh, or I should say, starting of earning season, so...
1: It's getting kind of hectic around here, isn't it? <laughs> I love it. I'm in my element. <laughs> you are. You definitely are. So with that being said, uh, being at earnings season, just want to give everyone a quick update uh, on the markets this year and the major indexes that we track. And these numbers as uh, are, are as of the close on July 17th. So um, for the month, the S&P 500 index is up 1.45% up 19.05% for the year. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 2.41% for the month and up 18.18% for the year. The NASDAQ is up 2.24% for the month and 23.36% for the year. The Russell 2000 index is down 0.88% for the month and up 15.82% for the year. The international index uh, X United States is down 0.17% for um, the month and up 12.25% for the year. Uh, Moving on to the treasury yields, uh, the three-month treasury yield currently sits at 2.14%. The two-year treasury yield at 1.83%. And the 10-year Treasury is sitting at 2.06%. So we still are in that yield curve inversion uh, when you look at the 3-month and the 10-month.
2: Yeah, I think the big thing, Mark, is getting that 10-year back over 2%. Mm -hmm. You know, we were briefly under that. It's a psychological level. So it's just interesting to see as that um, goes back over 2 that tends to be maybe a little bit of a, of a risk-on trade for stocks.
1: Right. At least for the short to medium term. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so moving on to big news headlines and current events uh, from the week. I know, Matt, you had a, uh, an article you wanted to share on uh, Q2 GDP that came out of China recently this week.
2: Yeah. It was published on uh, CNBC um, on Sunday. Uh, it was from July 14th. Uh, came out late in the evening. It was posted that they showed their lowest quarterly growth in 27 years. Their economy grew at 6.2% in the second quarter of this year. And that came in line with expectations. But what you're starting to see is um, their exports are starting to get, I think, hurt by some of the U.S. tariffs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as we've talked about in the last couple of podcasts, you currently have this trade truce, let's call it. And, you know, the longer that this persists, I think it puts more and more pressure on the Chinese government to to play ball. And are they going to try to wait out Trump until his next election? We will see. Mm -hmm. But um, it's interesting how, you know, we're kind of telegraphing this. And then in a little bit, I have some other information that kind of also hints that their exports are getting hurt.
1: Yeah, so it's it's one of the not one of the first articles, but it's the first thing we've heard in a long time that, you know, this trade war isn't just hurting the US. It's exactly. hurting China. Exactly. And I think eventually it's going to start to trickle throughout other countries in the world too. Yep. Um so, you know, just because most of the articles are centralized around um, you know, how it's hurting the US, I think it's starting to have a bigger impact on the global economy too. And couple that with the inversion on the three month and the ten year treasuries, um, you know, down the road, maybe not short term or in the next couple of months, but that almost is a perfect storm for a recession, possibly. Absolutely. So, um, so moving on to articles and uh, tweets and research from the week, I know Matt had a couple of other things he wanted to talk about, so I'll kind of just let him run. Um starting off with some tweets uh, that caught your eye, Matt.
2: Yep. I'm going to start with uh, one from the Wall Street Journal. Um, it was an article that's titled, uh, Manufacturers Move Supply Chains Out of China. And um, this was uh, last updated July 14th in the evening around 7 p.m. And what it talks about is how U.S. manufacturers are shifting production to countries outside of China as trade tensions between them uh, continue to stretch on. But specifically a couple of things caught my eye. First was imports from China uh, to the US fell 12% in the year through the end of May. So I thought that was very interesting. And then the other thing that caught my eye, and you're going to see more and more about this in the news, is where are the uh, production being moved to? It's not done in China. Where are they going to move it? And they discussed how US imports from Vietnam are expected to reach almost 65 billion this year. And that's up 36% mark from 2018. And that's um, kind of quoted in that article. So just kind of interesting. Um, Another piece of information.
1: Right. Yeah. And and to to just confirm that, I saw an article yesterday actually that was talking about how uh, Apple was testing their production of their new. AirPods in Vietnam uh, instead of China, so.
2: Yep. Uh, The next one I had had to do with um, an updated statistic on negative yielding debt. Um, This was posted uh, by Zero Hedge on July 14th. Um, It's a famous uh, blog within the trader community, you could say, Mark, and it just discussed how um, 13.4 trillion now in global debt, or about 25% of the total outstanding, is at a negative yield. And we were quoting some statistics just recently on one of the podcasts, and I think the article we were quoting had it around $11 um, uh, right. trillion. So it's just interesting as we start to get these updated statistics and to wrap your mind around how people are willing to lock their money up for a negative return.
1: Exactly, exactly.
2: So I just, it just kind of blew my mind.
1: Yeah, it's... Um it's interesting because people are willing to lose money on something because they're that um, concerned about the near future that they're willing to take a negative 2 or negative 3% yield over possibility of losing a lot more than that. But there's also the upside that they might miss if we continue this secular bull market that I still believe that we're in right now.
2: Sure. And where you seeing this? You're seeing this in Europe where they have a lot of uh, low, low economic growth. This is happening also in Japan, low, low economic growth. So I think it just um, bleeds through the psyche of a lot of these investors, willing to lock up their money for a negative return.
1: Right, and I know that one of the things that me and you have talked about before is, you know, with yields as low as they have been, and this was, you know, six months to a year ago, there's no one else for people to put their money other than the stock market. And that's the goal. But- that's the goal of all the central bankers, right? <laughs> exactly. They want to
2: people- force the money into risk assets. Yeah,
1: but people aren't doing it. No, <laughs> they're, they're really not. Continuing to to pour their money into. Um, Global debt, and in particular, negative-yielding government debt. And how we're able
2: to make that statement is we're looking at money flows, right? Mm -hmm. We can see stuff like M2 money supply, and that stuff is giving us these indications that there's still an absorbent amount of cash on the sidelines. Absolutely, yeah. All right, the next thing I want to kind of talk about is um, uh, Barron's. So uh, for those of you that don't know, Barron's is a weekly publication um, by the Wall Street Journal. Um, It usually comes out on Saturdays. And then for those uh, people that subscribe by newspaper, that it hits their uh, mailbox on Monday morning, okay? And a couple things caught my eye in this week's Barron's, um, and this uh, is the first section called Up and Down Wall Street, and again, just from this past week, Mark, a couple things I highlighted. First, quote, lower rates would help offset the uncertainties resulting from slower global growth, Fed Chair Powell said cheering risk markets and sending stocks to new highs so that's obviously from last week you had some comments from the fed chairman in essence he is in my opinion pre-selling uh, a rate cut at the end of the month mm-hmm. any comments from you on that mark
1: no i think that that's just you know people might be confused about that comment there but you know i think it's just more posturing on um, the fed chair side that you know we're going to trying
2: to justify how, how, how he's going to do it. Right, I have a couple more comments that kind of talk about, you know, we might get this rate cut at the end of July, but is, as more economic data comes out, how is that going to affect their future decision? i got a couple comments about that here in a minute. Okay. Next quote I have um, in the same uh, section, uh, up and down Wall Street section, quote, Deja vu all over again. Joe Carson, Alliance Bernstein's former chief economist and a longtime friend of Barron's, writes that the Fed has never made a preemptive move to stave off a slowdown while the economy's performance has been so close to its expectations or when the financial markets have been so robust. One more thing, the economy grew by 2.3% in the first half of this year, It says that's based on, Mark, the 3.1% first quarter uh, GDP in the Atlanta Fed's 1.4% GDP estimate for the second quarter. goes on to say, unemployment is near a half-century low at 3.7%. And the main shortfall cited by Powell, Fed Chair Powell, was inflation, despite the core consumer price index, excluding food and energy, rose at 2.1% annual rate. Now, why is this important to note? Their inflation target is 2%. Their other mandate is what? Employment, and it's there. Mm -hmm. So as you're listening to this, what you need to be thinking about is what is going to be the further justification for the Federal Reserve to keep lowering rates? Because in our opinion, we think the market is expecting more than one rate cut the rest of the year. Any comments, Mark?
1: Yeah, um, it's just, and it might sound confusing to a lot of people listening to this, but it's confusing to us as well. We've never been in an environment where things have been this good and we're about to get a rate cut but i think it goes back to the fact that we've never since you know the recession back in 07 or 08 we never got to the point where we normalized interest rates again no um, and rates have been so low so it's almost like are we ever going to get back to a point where interest rates are normalized or is the fed just going to keep playing this game of you know we'll raise out of a recession little by little by little but keep it just low enough that you know it's not going to get to the point where There's going to be a huge debt crisis, maybe, because I think for the debt crisis to really come tumbling down, we need to normalize interest rates because then people aren't going to afford to borrow the money anymore and service it.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And I think shorter term, I think the reason that I would like to make sure we're highlighting this is what is the potential catalyst for a sell-off, say, in the fall, right? What are those things on the list? And for me, top of the list is potential disappointment by the Fed. And what caused the sell off last um, uh, Q4 of uh, 2018? It was the Fed disappointing. And so I just think that, um, you know, listeners, um, I want to communicate that that is the reason why I was highlighting that. Yeah, absolutely. A couple more quotes. Um, This one has to do um, with negative uh, yielding debt I talked about earlier, but this um, in Up and Down Wall Street had a quote. From Mark Grant, he's the chief global strategist for fixed income at um, at B Riley FBR. He says that in addition to the over 13 trillion of negative yielding bonds, unprecedented in history, Mark, there is 25 trillion of bonds worldwide that are yielding less than inflation.
1: So essentially, less than two percent.
2: Exactly. And so, you know, a lot t- sometimes, you know, when investors, you know, see these returns on, say, I don't know, pick CDs, right? I think a lot of investors uh, tend to forget the psyche of, um, of that return versus actual inflation, right? Because they might look at it and say, well, at least I'm getting 1%. But with the article we just got quoted by, if inflation right now is 2.1%, they're actually technically losing what? Money. Purchasing power. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So something to note.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, and, th- and now that's even worse with uh, with negative yielding debt. If you're, you know, putting your money into something that's losing 2% per year, you're really losing 3 3.5% per year in terms of not keeping up with inflation.
2: Absolutely. A couple more things. The next uh, section in Barron's this is the trader section. Okay. And this is just from this past week. And then the article starts off with this. And I'm going to quote exactly. A curious dynamic has taken hold in the market. One where good news is bad news and bad news is good news. Does this sound familiar, Mark? It does. Okay, I'll keep going. <laughs> Starting with July 5th's June jobs report, stocks have dropped on days with the releases of better-than-expected economic data and rallied when the Federal Reserve officials have warned of uncertainties and trouble ahead. Now, we were talking about this last week when we were on a road trip and we recorded podcast number three. We were talking about this same phenomenon. Um, anything you want to add to that, Mark?
1: Um, just that it's 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 tough to see that. You know, at least my opinion on it is that the Fed has the influence to kind of play this game of you know the economy's good, but we want to sustain the expansion, so we're going to use all of our tools to sustain the expansion. But it's just like, is this going to go on forever? They can't. It can't. I mean. Um,
2: And we're going into an election year, which they tend to not make major monetary policy changes during an election year.
1: Exactly. And I just think, I think that we should have normalized interest rates a long time ago. Sure. Um, But I think the problem you're going to have is this debt problem uh, is going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, um, you know, if people can, uh, you know, borrow money at this low of rates for forever then the people that really can't afford to be doing it are going to do it more and more. And that's how bubbles and recessions happen. You're ahead I of me, mean, exactly. Um, so that's how it starts, That's right? why I think the Fed just needs to walk a fine line of you know, sustaining the expansion with not creating these massive monetary bubbles that we've seen them do in the past. Yeah,
2: I mean, and so I'll just throw this out there. The other part of the trader article I wanted to quote is this, quote, While certainty showing signs of slowing, the U.S. economy doesn't seem to require an immediate supportive monetary policy response. Unemployment remains close to a half-century low, 3.7%, according to the Atlanta Fed model, and a 1.4% real GDP growth in the second quarter, and manufacturing surveys, though weaker, remain in expansion territory. But the Fed appears to be intent on getting ahead of any potential. A couple things I also want to throw out there in the article, quote, while the Fed clearly is pessimistic about a coming U.S. economic conditions, investors' greatest focus now this earnings season may be the company's own assessment of their future. Forward guidance and management commentary, as they report earnings right now, Mark, may help investors decide whether the first half of 2019's stagnant earnings are just a lull or if they are merely a waiting before another down leg in the second half.
1: Yeah, and I think the interesting thing that you have this earning season too, Matt, is that... Everyone can use the China trade war as an excuse for why earnings weren't as good, even yep. if they were, if they weren't. Yep. Everyone can use that excuse. So That's think, right. It's free pass know, right now. If you guys are listening to these uh, earnings reports or just following some of the headlines, most of these companies are going to say, well, it's been super challenging conditions because of the U.S. China trade war. You know, businesses were uncertain in making decisions, hence, they didn't buy
2: as much. Uh, there was a couple, I think, uh, a notable rail stock, railroad stock that quoted that. And it'll be interesting because the more companies that use, let's just throw it out there, that excuse for missing earnings, the ones that don't miss earnings will probably be very well rewarded in this type of environment.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Absolutely. All right. Two more things from Barron's and then we'll move on, uh, Mark. The next one is from the section um, in Barron's called the striking price. Okay. And the title of the article is playing the next Fed rate move. You see a common theme here? Fed, (laughs) Fed, Fed, Fed. fed, fed. Okay. (laughs) Sorry, it's just important. So this next thing I'll quote is, um, it says, quote, Steve Sosnick, he's Interactive Brokers' chief strategist, says, right now the market is telling you that it loves the Fed put and that there's no inflation except in financial assets, which benefits those who hold financial assets. Goes on, The Fed put, of course, refers to the central bank's willingness since the financial crisis to lower rates to support the economy in the market. Low rates favor risk assets, including stocks, and investors have become addicted to the idea that the Fed will always seek to accommodate the market.
1: So in everyday terms, the Fed put essentially means that You know, the Fed's always going to be there that if the market drops 15 or 20%, they'll be there to cut rates, to entice people to buy more risk-on assets. They
2: will do stuff in a way to calm the markets down, right? right? And And that's the thing
1: that, personally, I'm not sure if I like that the Fed has that much control over what goes on. Um, Or the
2: perception of the market that they're always going to be there? Exactly. As a safety net? Yeah,
1: yeah. So...
2: All right, one last thing. This will be pretty quick. This is in Market View. Um, Title of it is called Earning Season Predictions, and this is by CFRA Research. And um, it says, quote, while we expect second quarter earnings per share estimates to be better than expected and to show positive growth, we would expect more downside revisions to come for the second half as earnings period unfolds. Corporations have every incentive to be conservative at this point. Given the unknowns regarding trade outcomes, the economic weakness being exhibited from China, and the slowdown in Europe. So what does that say? As companies are uh, going to be reporting earnings over the coming weeks, this is indicating that some companies might quote-unquote sandbag or be conservative with the second half of year estimates. And so that could be a potential risk for those companies if they disappoint too much.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one thing I want to add to that is in a, a, the past couple of podcasts we kind of spoke on that usually when we're in a bull market, we get this pre-earnings run uh, in the markets, which we got. And now we're just into the earnings choppiness of companies reporting. Um, so it's not... Um, A bad thing, I would say, that we're selling off a little bit right now this week, and just having some profit taking. I think. Yep. Um, And it kind of coincides with I think that we're going to sell. People are going to sell the market off, and then when Powell speaks, uh, the Fed chair, at the end of July, they can rip it right back up. Yeah. I'm saying is they're maybe going to shake out some weak hands that want to protect what they've made the past couple of months, um, and then rally it right back up to the highs.
2: Wouldn't surprise me, you know, Foul a pout, uh, you know, talking sweet nothing
1: into people's ears, <laughs> right, and right? The, the market going right back up. So um, just, again, our opinions on that could or couldn't happen. Um, so is that kind of everything you wanted to discuss with your... Yes, parents? I know
2: it or was very that? Fed heavy, and I apologize, but that's just one of the big focuses for the market right now. Yeah.
1: Um, okay, well, we will move on to the financial planning topic of the week. And this week's financial planning topic of the week uh, came from an article in the Wall Street Journal on uh, June 16th of this year. And it's called the best financial advice I ever got. And the journal asked several people who worked in the financial industry to tell them the best advice that has made huge differences in their lives uh, for the better. So I just wanted to talk about a few of them uh, because it's a pretty lengthy article um, and just picked out a couple that I thought were most important. So the first one is don't look at your 401k statements. And it says, quote, never open one of your 401k statements from the day you start work to the day you retire 40 or 50 years later. And Matt, I don't think I necessarily agree with this one. Um, I think that if someone's young and has many more years to work, then yes, the out of sight, out of mind concept um, can be helpful in not making the the short-term emotional decisions that we had previously talked about. But for someone who's one or two years away from retirement, you better believe I recommend looking before you retire. Because if you're one or two years away from retirement and an 08 happens, most people can't afford to ride the S&P down 50%. And going back to our second episode, if you save correctly and allocate appropriately in your working years, then you can afford to take some of that risk off um, a few years before retirement.
2: Yeah, my two cents is you got to find a balance. We see sometimes, Mark, uh, in our jobs, the extremes of both. So to be more specific, you see people that are checking their online 401k account daily, literally daily and then you see the other side of it where they come in with the bag full of statements that have never been opened that go back several years, Mm -hmm. right? I think you gotta strike a balance. So from my perspective, I would say either semi-annual or quarterly, you gotta review that allocation. Because over time, as the market runs, and I mean as stocks go up, they're gonna become a bigger piece of the pie. And as you get older, rebalancing and keeping uh, your investments in check with your goals and objectives and risk tolerances, that's vital. Because if someone is about to retire, uh, an 08 comes along, as you mentioned, not smart.
1: Yeah, agreed. So I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, And that one was by um, Charles Rotblutt and he's the vice president of the American Association of Individual Investors. Um, The next one is Live on One Income. And I agree with this one of people can do this and sacrifice, um, but I still want people to have their desired lifestyle and enjoy their life. Yep. Um, so if a couple does this, I believe that they will be both able to step away from the workforce a lot sooner than if they had lived off of two incomes. Agreed. Um, but it's a cost-benefit analysis. So it's sacrifice now to retire early or don't and wait longer to retire. Perfect. I agree. Um, so I think that that was that was kind of a good one. That if you if you can really stick to this for you know fifteen or twenty years, you can retire a whole lot earlier. You really
2: can. It's all about that opportunity cost of saving that money earlier.
1: Yeah, in life. and not just even just saving all the one income, but if you and your spouse combine your debts and you pay off your student loans by using that one income to pay off your loans and your debts first, and then start saving, that's a part of it too. I think. I love it. Um, And that one was by Lizetta Rainey Braxton, founder and CEO of Financial Fountains. Okay. Um, So the next one is Be Prepared for the Unexpected. And this is another one that I agree with, Matt. And this is why it's key to have an emergency savings account that you can tap into if something comes up. Um, and. You know, um, this one is by Margarita Chang, CEO of Blue Ocean Global Wealth. And she uses the example of when she was 10 years old, her aunt passed away and she left behind four children and didn't have any life insurance. Oh, wow. Um, So that's a situation where obviously it's not likely for everyone, but if it does happen and if you have four young kids, Mm. you know, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I definitely have to make sure that you're properly insured. And again, Matt and I aren't huge life insurance people in terms of permanent policies used as an investment vehicle. Yep. But I think um, term life is just a great way to insure to yourself that if something were to happen to you and you have kids, that your kids will be taken care of or your spouse will be taken care of. You said it perfectly. Um, and she had a, a great, great quote that I liked. Uh, And She said, he later explained, and this was the person that gave her the advice, he later explained to me that just because you don't plan for unfortunate events, it doesn't mean they won't happen. That's right. So you need to be prepared for that.
2: And remember, sometimes when someone is not making a decision, they're actually making
1: a decision. Exactly. Yep. Do you have anything else, Mark? Yeah. Uh, A couple more here.
0: I didn't want to jump
1: in front of you. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, follow a formula for retirement saving. And again, this is one that I agree with because my opinion is it's much easier to save for retirement when you have checks and balances and you're following a plan. So even grabbing a friend or your spouse or a family member to keep you in check um, to make sure that you're saving properly. Love it. I think that if you have, um, you know, these yearly checks and balances, if you have a financial plan per se, you can keep yourself in line and make sure you're doing the things that you need to do rather than just saying, hey, I'm going to save a couple hundred bucks this month and save 50 bucks this next month. Um, being more consistent about it, I think, will help in the long term.
2: That's right. And I think it helps uh, keep people on track and motivated and know where they stand. Mm-hmm. I think one of the common um, concerns of a retiree or a, um, a pre-retiree, I should say, is Am I on track for a certain income goal at a certain age right right and without a, a written financial plan that is then trackable it's really impossible to answer that question
1: yeah or without a client giving us hey I'm going to contribute a hundred dollars a month for the next 30 years if they say well I'm gonna do you know 100 bucks here hundred 100 bucks there, it's very difficult for us to give an estimation of what retirement can look like for them. Absolutely. So you just have to be consistent with it, I think. Yep. Um, And that one was from um, Maddie Dykwald, author and co-founder of Think Tank and Consultancy Agency Wave. And the last one I wanted to talk about, Matt, was don't be a copycat. And this one is uh, is cool. And they say, don't mimic the investments and trades of others just because they appear to know something. You don't know their, situa- their own situation and they don't know yours. And I wholeheartedly agree with this because everyone's financial situation is different, right? Yep. Because some people may have the money to day trade options and some people may not. Um, So you can't rely on other people's investment ideas if you don't know their situation or their strategy or their reason why they're doing it Um, because they may be able to lose, you know, 10K, 20K in a year and be fine and you might not be able to.
2: Absolutely. I mean, we see the fads, you know, every year, Mm right? Right. And, um, I'll be going to my uh, 20th year in the industry in in about a month is my anniversary. And so I, I've seen a lot of
1: fads.
2: (laughs) and usually we get the call and it's like my neighbor's brother hit it big and blank, blank, blank. Should I be doing this? Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm just glad that they have people like us as a sounding board, um, for those types of ideas. But most of the time. It's not the right fit, mm-hmm. and so I would just be cautious that just because a certain thing worked out for an individual, people tend to only talk about their winners, not their losers. It's mm-hmm. human nature, so just uh, I would be very cautious. Yeah,
1: and it's good to point out that there, in our world, my opinion, there is there uh, no holy grails. There's no black boxes. So um, you know, if someone, if you see an article or on a social media website of hey, pay $1,000 up front and get this black box trading strategy that's made 70% the past five years, uh, be very cautious with that. Because uh, most of the time, uh, it's not always truthful. Um, and sometimes, yeah, something has done well over the past couple of years. But Doesn't mean it's going it to continue. Done well? How to do well in 2007 and 2008? Bingo. Um, so I think that was a good article. And there were some more things to it. So again, Um, It was an article by the Wall Street Journal um, called The Best Financial Advice I Ever Got. Um, Again, that was back on June 16th, and there's a couple of other good ones in there if you guys want to go and check that out for yourself.
2: Just to throw out there, there was a section about being smart about probabilities, Mm -hmm. and the thing that came to mind for me, Mark, was in regards to a growth assumption when you do a written financial plan, and sometimes we've seen um, other firms have some I would say, aggressive growth assumptions in the plan. And if you're expecting, say, a very high single digit or maybe even a double digit rate of return, um, that's an aggressive assumption. So I think um, reading that section about, quote, being smart about probabilities is also a good one. So Mm -hmm. you, you picked a really good article.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think in addition to that, too, um, you know, if you're using an aggressive growth rate, but you're one of those people that are trying to hop in and hop out and time the market and, you know, um, do that type of thing, then it's not going to be realistic and it's not even really going to be close to what you're estimating for. Yep. Um, So it's better to be conservative with the growth estimate and save more than you're going to. Um, So I think that's the way to go about financial plans if you want to go that route. Agreed. Um, So I think that's all we had for you all today. We didn't get any questions, so I encourage um, listeners to keep submitting questions um, so we can talk about exactly what you all want to hear from us.
2: Share the podcast with your friends and family. Mm -hmm.
1: And um, if you don't have anything else, Matt, then uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to the fourth episode of the Independent Advisors podcast. Hope you all have a great rest of the week and a safe weekend, and we will talk to you next week.
2: Have a great weekend, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors Podcast. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words, questions, and topics in the subject line to mark at jessupwealthmanagement.com we'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results." This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances.